Well, good morning. If we haven't met, I'm Rob Jacobson, and we're in the third week of a series that we were calling Choices. Choices because we are the sum total of the choices that we make. So who we are today is a result of the decisions that we've made yesterday and all the yesterdays before that, and who we will become and what we can do is the result of the decisions that we make today. So our choices matter. And this week, or actually the whole series, we're focusing on five big choices. We've talked about choosing popularity or choosing purpose over popularity. Talked about choosing what is important over what is urgent. And today we're talking about choosing growth over glass. So just to kind of set the stage for what that means, it's, it's fall. It's supposedly fall, I should say. But someday... Maybe soon, it will be fall. It'll feel like fall. But the, one of the reasons that I love fall is because it always brings me back to the six seasons of cross country that I ran. If you're not an athlete, cross country is merely where you run in grassy areas because you couldn't make football, at least in the town that I was from. And you know you're a pretty average runner when you get most improved your junior year of school. But... It wasn't that I was great at it, and it wasn't that our team was great. The reason that I loved our cross-country seasons and that it has such sweet memories for me is because of the growth that we made as a team. When I started running, I really couldn't run. I was a seventh grader, 4'11 and 75 pounds, and it was this slow, painful jog, but the coach had coached for like 68 seasons, or approximately, and You know, he was just this wiry old guy who would just be like, go, Robbie, there you go, and probably saying a prayer for me. And then the next year, we get this coach, teacher, who said yes because no one else would say yes. He didn't want to coach. He didn't know anything about cross country. But over the next five years, I watched a guy not only become a fan of running and a lover of running and a coach of a team, but a guy who ended up loving our team. Individually, we grew season after season. A lot of times it was just this slow, dramatic improvement, but sometimes it was drastic improvement. But most of all, the reason it holds such sweet memories for me is because individually, we each grew as people, not just as runners, because we got to know ourselves and each other, because I'm convinced that growth happens in community with God and others. And so in this idea of choosing growth over glass, it's, it's glass is just pretending everything's great. Whereas growth is this idea of putting ourselves in situations and with people who will cause us to grow. So I'm surprised at the number of people, both in my life, just as acquaintances, but even people in our faith community who say things to me like, "Ah, I just, I don't feel like I'm growing, or I'm simply surviving, or or even I feel kind of depressed. And sometimes, honestly, you might be depressed if this is one of you. You might be feeling down because you spend a little bit of too much time on social media comparing what you know about yourself with what you don't know about others, and when you do that, you will always come up short. Some of you might feel like you're not growing because you're actually starving your friendships. I read an article a couple weeks ago that said, when people with children become overscheduled, 
They don't shortchange their children or their work. They shortchange their friendships. I know it's true in my own life. And maybe sometimes people feel like they're simply surviving because they're isolated. So I read uh, parts of this book by these two authors and psychologists, Dr. Richard Schwartz, isn't that a fun name, and Dr. Jacqueline Olds. They wrote this book called The Lonely American, Drifting Apart in the 21st Century. And here's some highlights. This is what they learned. First of all, our modern American life is so pushes us to live this hyper-networked, super intense, um, driven all the time, frantic pace that we isolate ourselves. And secondly, there's this push of like these rugged American values that we're supposed to be self-reliant, ambitious, and competitive. So it, it pu- pulls us towards being alone. But additionally, just some factors that have been pushing us towards isolation over the past decades, more people today live alone than at any other point in U.S. history. Now, maybe you don't live alone, but you live in neighborhoods where virtually you live alone because you don't actually have to interact with your neighbors. And you can go to the grocery store. Actually, you can just buy your stuff online, delivered right to your door. And, and you can just wave to the Amazon guy and, or the postman, and they'll just drop it at your door. And if you do have to go to the store, you can use the self-checkout lane and actually not have to talk to him. This is not an introvert's dream. These authors would say this is a self-inflicted isolation. Now, you might be wondering what loneliness has to do with growth. Well, loneliness has to do with growth because people actually don't like to admit that they're lonely. They're more likely to admit they're depressed than they're lonely. That's one of the reasons. But also, people who, when you combine this hyper-intense, super-frantic pace of life, and you combine the social media revolution where we're constantly comparing and we don't want to put all our junk out for everyone to see, that beyond age and beyond uh, socioeconomic status and beyond location, every demographic is tempted to have this online self and this actual self. Every Every demographic, whether you're a teenager or whether you are nearly retired and just starting to be on this place called Facebook, we are pulled to split ourselves. But when you had conversations about who you admired most, my guess is those people were not people who split themselves. They were people that actually allowed you into their life, allowed you to see their flaws, and yet they chose to keep growing throughout their life. My guess is those are the people that you admired. So we're going to go to the book of Hebrews, and then we're going to have some uh, friends come up and share about their experiences with growth. But before we go to the panel, I want to bring us to Hebrews 10. And the reason we're going to Hebrews is, At this time, it's 30, 40, 50 years after Jesus has died and rose from the dead. This small band of Jesus followers has virtually flipped the empire upside down, and yet now there's this backlash of persecution. They are literally and figuratively trying to wipe out the Christians. And so for the first time in the story, the leaders of the Jesus movement are seeing people stop growing 
or pulling away from the faith or just stopping doing the practices that caused them to grow and flourish in the first place. And so the writer of Hebrews challenges the people to continue on. And here's what it says in Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have the confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened us through the curtain that is Christ's body, And since we have this great high priest over the house of God, these would have all made sense to the Jews because those were images and practices that they would have done. They go to the temple, but they couldn't go in the most holy place. They go to a priest because that's the person who can go into the holy place. And what he's saying is that, we're assuming it's a he, but what the writer is saying is that now that Jesus has died and rose again, he has made a way that all of us can have access to this God who was inaccessible. So let us draw near. Let us come to that God. Let us draw near to God with a glad and sincere heart and with the assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how we might spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, I think the writer is challenging the people to practice this pattern of life together that will cause them to grow throughout their lives. The first thing he says is people who grow, people who choose to grow, they prioritize their relationship with God. They understand that this is not a religion, that God is not far away, but that Jesus in the spirit is with us as a person is with us. And they make time for that relationship with God, that even in the midst of the frantic, hyper-scheduled activities that we face, that we prioritize that. We talked about that in this choosing important over urgent. And so they understand that though Jesus made a way, we don't have to just come to a worship service to encounter God, but we can encounter God at any place at any moment. And yet we know we need others in our relationship with God. Secondly, this pattern is that people who grow promote hope in Jesus. See, it says, hold unswervingly to the hope that we have. It's not like we're going to hold on to hope and then one day we'll have heaven. It's because we so understand, we so want to experience this hope in Jesus that we just bring it wherever we go. People who grow can't help but share that hope in Jesus. It doesn't say they share it perfectly. It just says they share it. I got to experience this on Friday when I was asked to do a funeral for someone that didn't have a pastor, and it was with the school that we're partners with, and there were many people that came shocked and devastated. And after the funeral, I got to have a few conversations that reminded me how simple the message of Jesus is and absolutely energized me when I got to share just a little bit with people because our hearts are bent for something more. Our hearts yearn for wanting this unconditional love that want this, this proper, true justice to happen in the world, that things will be made right someday. 
and to have just these glimpses of, of conversation that weren't religious, but were just full of Jesus, were amazing. People who promote hope in Jesus, they just bring that to the forefront, whether it's through prayer or whether it's through sharing testimony or whether it's through uh, bringing hope to the hurting and the hopeless. But the last one in this pattern is that people who grow participate in this pattern of true community in the Holy Spirit. And it's where we're going to spend the rest of our time before our communion with a panel of people. Because participating in true community, if you talk to people about that, they'll, they'll look at you a little weird. Like you're signing up for some cult or club. Like, ooh, I don't know. What, what happens? Can I, can I leave after? Are you going to sell me anything? Are you going to make me sign up for anything? But actually, true community in the Spirit is recognizing that God, even God, is Father, Son, and Spirit. God is community. And in Genesis 1, in the beginning, when God created them, male and female, he created them because in one person, we don't reflect God perfectly. We need a community of people to reflect God perfectly. But also, it's this realization that we demonstrate God's love and his grace and his truth best when we accept relationship with other people who are trying to accept God's love, grace, and truth as well. And in those moments, we see just how well or how not so well we do in that. But it's those people who remind us how we've grown and where we've grown, and even sometimes who God has called us to be. Now, I'm not suggesting that you should participate in five to seven church activities every week, and if you do that, you will grow. Actually, if you did that, you might grow, but guess what? No one would get the benefit of it besides you. Not, not your family, probably, not the people around you, your neighbors or the people you work with, because you'd be so busy doing church stuff. But I am convinced that a regular rhythm of community, one, two, maybe three times a week, of this rhythm of corporate worship, serving others with who you are and what God has gifted you in, and participating in this community of the Holy Spirit, like a small group, is a way that people grow throughout their lives. But I'm going to bring a panel of people up and they're going to tell us how that's happened in their life, because you might not believe me. You might just think I'm selling you something. So uh, if you could come up, the people that have already known this, it's because it's not something we're doing. Like, surprise! So, uh, briefly, would you share your name, who lives in your house, and what um, has been your experience with small groups or the first time you participated? So, once again, my name is Garrett Zafke. My wife is Amy, and I have two kids, Zoe and Lincoln. Um, and we've been small groups now, probably since me and Amy have been married, but for my own personal life, probably about 10 years getting into that. We got, I got into small groups in college right away, and then ever since then have been somewhere in a small group. Awesome. Same question. Uh, my name is Erin. I live with my two daughters, Serafina and Vivian. Um, I, um, 
I really enjoy the community feeling of small group and the spiritual growth. Uh, I have actually only been a part of one small group, um, <laughs> and it's because a friend asked me to do it. Awesome. I'm Mary Bashara, and my husband John and I um, are empty nesters, and we have three children, 30-something children, um, ages. And uh, we started doing small groups when we first uh, got saved and, and came to know Jesus. And um, that actually became the lifeblood of, of us growing as Christians. And so I've been in small groups participating and leading in them for 30-some years. Wow. Um, I'm, I'm good, but... <laughs> What is the, Aaron, you, you just mentioned this, so um, you can choose to answer that part or the second part. So what's the reason you said yes the first time, and why have you continued to be in small groups? Um, well, so the reason I said yes the first time was uh, Kara asked me to, and I thought, why not? I, I had never experienced it before, why not? Um, in, I am going to continue to because um, I've just found it's been life-altering for me. Uh, it's been a great way to grow my spiritual growth uh, without pressure or without feeling like I don't know. Um, and being able to ask all the questions that I don't know and getting great answers in response. Awesome. Mary, you care? I'd say for me, um, just knowing that I'm a busybody, and so if I don't put things in my calendar or schedule things out, it tends to get filled. Um, and so just in my life, realizing that if I want to put God as a priority, this is a way that I need to do that, to kind of set some time aside and just say that, you know, this is my time that I'm going to personally grow with God um, in a community. So in the same way, it's like, you know, putting your Sundays aside. It's also maybe taking that next step of putting another, you know, maybe it's a night or an evening or an afternoon aside. It um, doesn't have to be a huge commitment, but it's just a way of helping you kind of prioritize that relationship with God. And for me, um, the church that we first started to go to church in was about five to 700 members. And I just felt lost. I, mm -hmm. I had no idea how to get to know people. And the pastor said, join this small group, this koinonia group, and koinonia means fellowship. And so when we did that, my husband and I were instantly surrounded by about 10 couples, and it was intergenerational, which was really very cool. And um, all of a sudden, I knew 10 couples in the church, and they knew 10 couples, and they knew 10. You know, so pretty soon I felt like I belonged. And so that was pretty powerful um, and very selfish. But on the other side of it <laughs> was that I just, um, we just kept hearing uh, consistently God, who was God, how much he loved us, all that kind of stuff. So um, I was totally sucked in from the very first day. I just really want to quickly piggyback off of that, too, because um, me and Amy, we just moved here a year ago um, from the St. Paul area, and so we came from a very big church of, like, thousands of people, um, and very much the same of just feeling alone. We never met the same people twice on a Sunday unless you texted somebody and said, hey, where are you sitting? And then you weren't guaranteed because you may not sit next to them. Um, and I think with this church, a great 
thing that we have um, is that we're super welcoming. I don't think I've ever been to a more welcoming church ever. And it's just really great to get to see everyone all the time, every Sunday. It's really hard not to like miss people. Like you're, We're all here in a very you know nice condensed room area. I think the double-edged sword with that though is sometimes we have this sense of perceived community where it's like, yep, yeah, we have, you know, we can see each other on Sundays, and I think good conversations do happen on Sundays, and that's great. But I think then we kind of feel like, all right, we're connected. Whereas, you know, how can we maybe pull a little bit deeper into those connections? Um, because honestly, it can't just happen on a Sunday. It just, it can't. And especially trying to fit it into 15 minutes before we try to go on to our day. And when Vikings are playing, I mean, I, we're going. Like, so it's good. It's good to have that extra time. Um, just to be more real with each other, especially just on a Sunday, that's one day, and you know how you do your weeks at the beginning or ending every week. It's always nice to have another time, maybe halfway into that week, to say, hey, in the last three days, this, things have changed. Yeah. And so, and especially like to have to wait a week to maybe bring some of that up, <clears throat> it's not always the best way to do that. Yeah, I mean, Garrett, you've all shared what some of the benefits are being in a small group, whether it's getting to know people, feeling like a belonging, or um, these are what uh, Christian friendships are, or you know, going beyond that welcome or that feeling connected. But beyond those, what other benefits do you have? One or two, and you don't have to go in order. Uh, just some benefits of being in a small group. I think for myself and Amy, one, we'll get personal, we'll get real here. I know that. So when I was growing up, I would always watch like sappy 80s love movies with my sister who was older. So she always got to pick. So, you know, I grew up on those really sappy, awful things of like, this is what love should be. And so when I got married to Amy, we were in for a rude awakening of what love really meant and like what her marriage would be. Um, and we ended up, <laughs> And we ended up joining our small group around the same time we got married. And it was wonderful to have that mix of multi-generational where we had people that have been married for 10 years, people that have been married for 20 years, um, who were really able to pour into us and say that it gets better. I know it's hard right now, and I know things don't look like they'll ever get any better, but it does. And I think for me and Amy to be by ourselves, just alone in that, trying to work on that, it would be really hard. And it was nice for people who've already kind of gone forward through that and been like, hey, like... Yeah, yeah, this happens. It's normal. You're not weird. Like, I mean, we're kind of looking around being like, we're supposed to be happy, and we're not all the time. Are we not doing something right? And how you're saying with the Facebook. We'd see Facebook and our friends. They always look so happy. Like, why are we not like that? And so it was great to have other people just say, that's not real. This is real life. This is what it is. You're going to be okay. And then have them walk with us and just to say, hey, we're praying for you. Let us know if there's something else. And just even... Having time, our small group would split into men and women, and it was just nice to have that time to be like, you know, hey, this is what's annoying me that Amy does, and I bet Amy was doing the same thing. That was really short, though, right? <laughs> he, oh, yeah, totally. Okay. <laughs> but it was great, though, just to be able to grow in that and to have that time with other people to really just talk about problems, because honestly, we all have our problems, and we're good Minnesotans. We like to just box that all up and not deal with it, but eventually it's going to implode on you. I want to piggyback on that because I'm so glad Garrett is vulnerable. <laughs> because there are times when the small group, and sometimes I've been in a couple's group, and sometimes I've been in just a women's group, but there are times where I needed those people to pick me back up because I was all beat up, whether it was um, from the world or work or um, even my own marriage. 
And so I got to tell you what, when I go for periods of time where I'm not in a small group, that's where I start feeling like, wait a minute, who are my people? Where do I go when I, you know, feel like I don't get how God is working in my life and I can go there and it's not a Facebook, it's not a facade, it's real people who didn't even want to come that night, but they just said, okay, I'm accountable and I'm committed and I came tonight. So many times I would go to small group and I would feel like I am too busy, too tired, too worn out, too beat up, or something like that. But then this, pe this group of people would come around me and they'd, go, they'd hug me. And I'd go, man, am I ever glad I have come. And not only that, but man, am I ever glad I have some people in my life that can uh, peel away some of the abrasion of the world. Um, I think there's two things. For me, small group is a sanctuary of where I can go and I can have time for me and growing my faith with Christ and growing with others in Christ. Um, and I don't have the distraction of my lovely children um, or the rest Amen, of the world. Sister. I mean, I, I just get that time. It's dedicated one to two hours and it's pretty amazing to have that time because it's hard to find that time when you don't carve it out. Um, and the other thing I think that it's a benefit is um, prayer, learning to give, learning to receive prayer. It's hard when someone says, what should I pray for you about? And you're like, oh, I, mm, well, I'm, I don't, I have nothing wrong. What are you talking about? I'm fine. You know, but really, truly sharing with someone and knowing that someone else has those same issues and they pray for you and you get a little text or you send a little text or you send a note. Um, I think it's a beautiful thing to learn how to do. You know, one of the benefits that I experienced um, in the first small groups that we did at Restoration was I instantly had about eight other adults that would know my children, not as the pastor's kids, but just as my kids. And they would ask them how their week was, and they would pray for them. And they would w pray for us, and we would pray for them. Uh, so thanks for bringing up prayer. Uh, the reality is that you know, we all have busy lives, though. So what about someone who says, I don't have time to be in a small group. Um, you know, I can, I can study on my own or I can, I can spend time praying on my own. How would you encourage that person to consider this type of community? I think that's a response that is understandable. I mean, we do live in a culture that drives us to compete and drives us to stay busy at all times. Um, and especially if you're a person like me who cannot rest, it's really hard for me to like just sit down and rest without being busy in that. But I would argue, and I know Rob's kind of said this too from the very get-go, God is a God of community. I mean, look at Jesus. When he came on to, you know, when he came here to the world and started his ministry, day one, he made that a communal ministry. He got disciples together to follow him. And honestly, when you read those stories, it's like, eh, you know what? It may have been easier for Jesus not to take those disciples. It seemed like they just complained a lot. They didn't get things. It almost seemed like they were extra baggage for Jesus. And it's like, let's honestly, you know, if Jesus is God in the flesh, he doesn't need people to do his mission, but he chose to. He chose to welcome people with him to have that. And so I'm like, if it's good for Jesus, it's probably good for us too. Um, and, you know, Jesus could probably have the same thing of, like, I'm too busy. I have, you know, I have a world to save. I don't got time to invest in building these people. But he chose to anyway. So I think for us to see that, it's like, you know, maybe we should take a look at that. And I would say, too, um, 
one thing that I always just keep coming back to, like, you know, why should I be a part of a small group? My answer would be, why not? Uh, you don't have to be a part of a small group. It's not like your salvation's in crisis or that God's not going to love you more or less because you're not in a small group or because you are in a small group. But it's an extra tool that you can have to grow with God and to grow in your relationship with the people around you. It's almost like just choosing to live off the grid and using candles. It's like, yeah, you can make it by, and you could totally get by with that light, but why would you? Why would you do that when all you can do is flip on a light switch and you have lights in your house? Like, it's so much easier to do. So why would you pass that up? And so I know that it is something that is hard because, once again, it's just another thing to add to your calendar. But then don't see it as that. See this as a time to invest in yourself and invest in people around you. It's about the things that matter. And I like this message series because it helps us kind of take us to that point of, you know, all these things in my life that I could be doing, what what really matters? If there's something that lasts eternally, what is that? And it's people. And so if you're not investing in people, since those are eternal, like, does it matter if you don't mow your lawn because you went to small group instead? Does it matter if you didn't get the dishes clean because you went to small group? In a sense of eternity, it doesn't matter. And I think it's for us having to try to put our mindset on eternal things. And that really is about people then. And how are we investing in people? And how are we loving on people? And even like, how are you investing in yourself so that your kids are being flourished by that? Your spouse is being you know, flourished by that. The people around you are. Because this life will drag you down and will beat you up. And if you go out by yourself, you're just, you're asking for trouble. Why would you? When you can have a group that supports you and loves you. Aaron or Mary, anything to add? I would just say, um, Garrett summed it up really well, but I would just say, um, come out, share your knowledge, because there's people like me who don't know and want to learn. And so share your knowledge. Otherwise, how will we spread the word? Good point. Perfect. I'd say, Beautiful. too. Beautiful. I'm just going to piggyback off of that real quick, too, of sharing knowledge. It's always great to bring diversity into our groups. I know for me and Amy, like, for us, we're just staunchly, you know, we're like, hey, abortion is something that we shouldn't be doing. Like, we should be pro-life um, all the time with that. And so it was interesting with our small group that we're currently with where we had an older couple. They were done having kids. They sold everything off. They're like, all right, we have our three. That's what we wanted. We're good to go. And, like, about six months later, it's like, we have another baby on the way. And this was something that was not planned. They were not looking, you know, to this at all. And it was really interesting to walk with them in that, to see them, you know, to see them struggle with that, where they were excited to have a new baby. They were excited about life because they're very much, too, of like, hey, yeah, like, you know, God intends for this to happen. We're going to have it happen. But it was interesting to see them, though, on the weeks where they're like, we don't want a baby. We don't want another baby. We just gave up all of our stuff. Like, this is an inconvenience to us. And it was so interesting, though, to see them walk through that and to help them walk through that and to pray with them. And now on the flip side, where it's like they have a beautiful baby daughter now, and they love her so much. Whereas I don't think a lot of people know, though, the whole story with that. And it was just, it was really interesting for me and Amy to just grow in herself because we may never experience that in our own life. But it was really neat to just grow in her faith and help them grow in their faith based upon that. You know, you, you brought up like one of the benefits, firsthand experiences that you have had, Garrett, with seeing someone else's point of view and having to wrestle with that. When I think about one of my, one of the greatest benefits from my firsthand, it's that watching someone else wrestle and interpret and they bring up something that I never would have gotten had I tried to do that on my own. 
Um, so, Aaron, Mary, anything that you would add to that kind of firsthand personal experience of one of the greatest benefits of that community? Um, probably, well, when I already mentioned, uh, you know, getting to know people and, and having that social connection, but there were times where somebody would come back to me and say, what you said to me last week was the difference. And so I really ministered to people, and I don't know that I thought I was or that I set out to do that. I went there to be ministered to. But when people would come back and go, oh, my gosh, what you said made all the difference in the world, do you, you know what that does to me? You know, my language of love is affirmation. So, <laughs> um, but that was powerful because I made a difference. I was real. I'm really, and the body of Christ needs this. We can come here and we can learn stuff. We got to apply it. And that's a powerful thing for us to do. And small groups is an opportunity to apply it. Maybe I, um, Maybe I didn't get what I needed that day, but who knows what I said or how I touched somebody or somebody got touched by somebody else. We need each other, you guys, and that's a powerful thing to do in a small group. Thanks, um, Well, I, I would just say, so for me, I, you guys have probably already figured it out. I'm relatively new to this. Um, and so when I first walked into small group, I was really overwhelmed. Like, people knew a lot a lot, and I didn't. I, I didn't. I forgot everything I learned in catechism. I didn't know, and I thought, oh, I can't. This isn't for me. I don't know, but I stayed because I stayed. And as time went on, and I got to ask my questions, and I got responses, and I got prayed for, and I prayed for others. It's self. I mean, it's selfish. It was my own spiritual growth last year. That's what it was. I don't know if I contribute anything to the community, but for me, it was my spiritual growth that I can say, like, Jesus loves me for me, and that's okay, and that's enough, and that was huge for me last year. So, it might just be you that you're changing, but you never know. God always works through us, even when He works to us. So, I thank you for sharing that. And uh, I'm impressed, and if it's not patronizing, proud of you, Aaron, for how you said that. I am choosing to stay because I chose to stay. All you did was make a choice to grow, even though you might not have known where Hezekiah was in the Bible, which is not a book, in case you didn't know, but <laughs> is often used as a joke to trick people. <laughs> but the fact that you stayed, you actually, sounds like, you learned what you did know, and nobody judged you for what you didn't know. Um, the redwood trees of California are some of the tallest trees in the world. They actually grow higher than the Statue of Liberty, and yet they have this relatively shallow root system. But part of the reason that they survive and thrive is that their roots interlock with the trees around it to the point that People can drive through them to the point that they can last up to 3,000 years. When we are in community, when we notice when someone has back in worship for, on stage for the first time in months and we see the strength that they have, we get strength. This is how God works. 
uh, today as we go into our communion and Jesus invites us, you don't have to be part of our church to have communion. You just have to have said yes to Jesus. We invite you into that experience of Jesus saying, my body is broken for you. My blood is shed for you. I came to make a way that you could be returned to God. We invite you into that experience. But I would ask that as um, we go sit down, as the band comes up, what do you need to grow? Ask the Holy Spirit, what do you need to grow? If you're a student, do you need to be in a student group? If you're an adult, do you need to be participating in a small group? Or maybe you're not sure exactly what a small group is, but you'd really like to understand Jesus' mission and how to share your faith with others. Do the disciple group experience. If you haven't ever served regularly, join a ministry team. We don't want to tell you what to do, but we do want to encourage you to make a step of growth. God will work through it. I promise you. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for these friends, these people who stood up to share vulnerably on how their lives have been changed because they accepted community. God, the people around them that would not only encourage them and support them, but also pray for them and be prayed for. God, we want to be people of growth. We don't want to gloss through life. We want to see you at work in our lives. And we know that that means that we've got to open ourselves up, which is sometimes very scary. I pray that you would speak to us about what step of growth you might be calling us to, because we want to be people who change and transform. Like we see in your word, the people change and transform. We want to take risks in our faith, and we know that sometimes taking risks with others is scary. But God, you say, do not fear. Be of courage. Be bold. God, that's the people that we want to be. We pray that you would speak to us now in this time of communion. In Jesus' name, amen.